Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. If you're visiting with us today for the first time, you should know that we are preaching through the early chapters of the book of Genesis. We've been at it for some time. And we're coming now to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10, which speaks of all the nations that come from the descendants, the sons of Noah. And so please give your attention to us, to to the word of God as we read together. Genesis chapter 10. Now these are the records of the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer and Magog and Madai and Javan and Tubal and Meshech and Tiras. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz and Riphath and Torgama. The sons of Javan were Elisha and Tarshish, Ketim and Dodanim. From these, the coastlands of the nations were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. The sons of Ham were Cush and Mizraim and Put and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba and Havilah and Sabta and Rama and Sabteca. And the sons of Rama were Sheba and Dedan. Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalna and the land of Shinar. From that land he went forth into Assyria and built Nineveh and Rehoboth-ir and Kala and resin between Nineveh and Kala, that is, the great city. Mizraim became the father of Ludim, and Anamim, and Lehabim, and Naphtuhim, and Parthrusim, and Kasluhim, from which came the Philistines, and Kaphtorim. Canaan became the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Girgashite, and the Hivite, and the Archite, and the Sinite, and the Arvadite, and the Zimmerite, and the Hamathite, and afterward the families of the Canaanites were spread abroad. The territory of the Canaanite extended from Sidon, as you go toward Gerar, as far as Gaza, as you go toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and Adma and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham, according to their families, according to their languages, by their lands, by their nations. Also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber and the older brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem were Elam and Ashur and Arpachshad and Lud and Aram. 
The sons of Aram were Uz and Hul and Gether and Mash. Arpachshad became the father of Shelah, and Shelah became the father of Eber. The two sons, two sons were born to Eber. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan became the father of Almadad and Shelef and Hazar Maveth and Jera and Hadoram and Uzal and Dikla and Obel and Abimael and Sheba and Ophir and Havilah and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. Now their settlement extended from Mesha as you go towards Safar, the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem. According to their families, according to their languages, by their lands, according to their nations. These are the families of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, by their nations, and out of these the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. This is the word of the Lord. That was hard. (laughs) But it's done now. This passage records the history of the nations. All the nations of the world have their origin in these three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is what the word of God plainly teaches. We have no right to question it or to doubt it or to disagree with it. God was there, you and I weren't. God can be trusted, you and I can't be trusted. This is what happened. God made the world, God made Adam and Eve, God destroyed the earth because of its wickedness and a global flood, God saved one man, Noah and his family, and out of that family, God repopulated the whole earth. This is what the Bible teaches and this is true. Verse 32, these are the families of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies by their nations and out of these, the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. So no matter what your ethnic heritage is, your people, every one of us, your people came from one of these three men and their descendants, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Which is one of the reasons why racism is not only wicked, it is wicked, right? It's also just dumb. Because you're just talking about your own family. These, we're all cousins, right? If there's anything in you of racism, of superiority of your race, of your people over some other race or people, just wake up. Anything that would give you any basis for that is stupid. We all come from the same people. It's not just stupid, it's wicked. Humble yourself under the account of the nations. So, if you're of European heritage, you're descended from Japheth. His descendants fanned out to the east and the west after landing, the ark landed on, in, in Turkey, in eastern Turkey, Mount Ararat. Gomer's, Javan's, and Tira's descendants moved into what is now Europe. Magog, Tubal, and Meshech moved in north into what is now Russia. Madai was the ancestor of the Medes and Persians, 
who eventually migrated into India. If that's where you come from, there, there it is. The sons of Ham, as we heard about last week from Pastor Weeks, spread out mainly toward Africa. The Bible often mentions Cush, which is Ethiopia. One notorious son of Cush is Nimrod in verse eight. He moved east into the area of Babylon and Nineveh. Nimrod is a bad guy. When it says he is a mighty hunter before the Lord, he's not um, shooting deer or squirrels with his bow uh, as, uh, as one of our Hamites has. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this is, I mean, it's genetic. (laughs) But what it means when it says he's a mighty hunter before the Lord, it means we know he's a wicked man and I don't want to get into, I don't have time to get into all of that, but he's a wicked man and he is a, he is a tyrant. He is a hunter of men. Uh, And when it says he's a mighty hunter before the Lord, this doesn't mean in the presence of God as a good thing. This This means in the face of God as an act of defiance, of blasphemy. This is this is Nimrod. He's a bad man. The thing to note about Nimrod is that he is the grandson or great grandson of Noah, who was the most righteous man in his day. Right? Nimrod, the wicked man, the grandson or or great-grandson of Noah. It doesn't take long. It's in all of our nature. We pass this on to our children. Mizraim, one of the other sons of Ham, is Egypt. Put probably refers to Libya and northern Africa. Canaan, of course, refers to all the many peoples living in the land of Palestine or the land of Canaan who are there when the nation of Israel goes in to conquer it. The sons of Shem are the Semites or the Semitic peoples. Of the sons of Shem, Eber is at the head of the list in verse 21. The word Hebrew comes from the word Eber. Elam was the ancestor of the Elamites. This is southeast Mesopotamia. Asher was the founder of the Assyrians. Arkpakshad was in the line leading up to Abraham, who we'll meet in the next chapter, chapter 11. Lud was probably uh, of the Assyrians down on the Tigris River of Mesopotamia. Aram is the name of the Aramean tribes who lived in Mesopotamia. One of the obvious questions that I think is what Lucas was talking about last week that I was going to answer um, was where are all the Asian races which is important for us, right? Where are they listed here? Where did they come from? Well, there are two possibilities. One is simply that it could have been omitted. It doesn't, a list like this doesn't have to be comprehensive to be true. There could be other peoples from other descendants and you know how detailed we're getting here, we're not sure. That's one option. Or they may be related to the Sinites in verse 17. Very last name in verse 17, the Sinites. That name is still preserved in the word Sino, 
in, for example, Sino-American relations. That means relations between China and America. Uh, Connor told me, who's studying uh, uh, Arabic, right, that the Arabic word for China is seen, which would come apparently from that same word. So probably this is where the Chinese or the Asian nations come from. At any rate, here's what we know. We know that this account is true and historical and that all the nations of mankind find their origins in one of these three men, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, what do we do with that? What do we do with this? One of the things that we do not do with this is get caught up in speculations and obsessions with genealogies. This is something that apparently uh, people throughout the history of the church have done. And it's a real danger because the Apostle Paul twice tells pastors, Timothy and Titus, to stop people from doing this. He says in 1 Timothy 1, instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. If your tendency to bore down into these things and get caught up with the details of this stuff, stop it. It's, it's not profitable. He says to Titus, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law for they are unprofitable and worthless. And so do we throw passages like this out or do we just simply pass over them or ignore them because they're unprofitable and worthless? No. Because we know, again, what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture, including Genesis 10, is what? Profitable. There's profit in it. It's good. Profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. There's good work that we need to be equipped by. Genesis 10 is God's means of equipping us for it. So, what's the point? What is the profit? What is, where is the teaching? What's the reproof, the correction, the training in righteousness that we need from Genesis 10? I'm going to point out to you two profitable points, I hope. One on the big picture scale, another that is more directly personal for you. Okay, one big picture, one personal. First, the big picture reality here in Genesis 10. God is interested in the nations. We've sung this in the Mary's words from the Magnificat. That's what we sung a little bit ago. It's always talking about the nations, God's rule over the nations. We've seen it in Haggai. We've just read it. God has always been interested in nations. And so he gives us the origin of the nations that he's interested in. Genesis 26, 4. I will multiply your descendants. This is God talking to Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and will give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. All the nations, blessed through the seed of Abraham. And that has been the plan from the beginning. The nations are not an accident, 
It is the plan of God. Psalm 22, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations, all of them. Isaiah 52.10, the Lord has bared his holy arm. He's rolled up his sleeve in the sight of all the nations that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Isaiah 66, I will set a sign. This is God speaking. I will set a sign among them, among my people. I will send survivors of my people from them to the nations. And then he gives you some of the nations we just read in Genesis 10. Tarshish, Put, Lud, Meshech, Rosh, Tubal, and Javan to the distant coastlands that have neither heard my fame nor seen my glory, and they will declare my glory among the nations. Then they shall bring all your brethren from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord on horses and chariots and litters on mules and on camels. To my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord, I also will take some of them some of these Gentiles from all the nations. I will take some of them for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. And so here we are, Gentiles, and yet priests and Levites to the Lord, a royal priesthood, not just from Levites, but from the nations. Daniel chapter seven Daniel says, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. This is our Lord Jesus Christ, exalted in the heavens. And he came up to the ancient of days, God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him, to our Lord Jesus, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, all the nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Malachi 1. For from the rising of the sun even to its setting, from one end of the earth to the other, my name will be great among the nations and in every place, in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. That is what the Old Testament is about. Hundreds of places where the nations, the nations, the nations. God has his eye on the nations. The Old Testament is about the nations coming under the reign of Jesus Christ by repentance and faith. And we know that's absolutely true. Jesus Christ himself, after he died and was raised again from the dead, said this to his disciples in Luke 24. It says, then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus opened their mind to understand what the Old Testament was about. And he said to them, thus it is written, in the Old Testament, 
that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's what the Old Testament's about. God has his eye on the nations and he intends to capture every one of them. The Bible ends in the book of Revelation just like it begins in Genesis with an eye on the nations, Revelation 7. After these things I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, And they cry out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God is interested in nations, not just in individuals, but in nations. And our Lord Jesus Christ intends to rule the nations with his word through the gospel. John Calvin said this at the time of the Reformation, when it seemed like the gospel would not prevail, the gospel would not win, the opposition was huge, the darkness was great, everything seemed like it was against the gospel going out, much like our day. Here's what John Calvin said. He said, our chief consolation is that this is the cause of God and that he will take it in hand to bring it to a happy issue, a happy result. Whatever resistance we see today offered by almost all the world to the progress of the truth, we must not doubt that our Lord will come at last to break through all the undertakings of men and make a passage for his word. He says, let us hope boldly then. Let us hope boldly then. More than we can understand. More than we can understand. He will still surpass our opinion and our hope. So in other words, it doesn't matter what you think. Right? And it doesn't even matter what you hope. The Bible is clear. His eye is on the nations and he's going to get them. They're his. So God is interested in nations and he wants us to be interested in nations. And so tonight we'll be thinking about Bloomington. Bloomington's nothing to God. I don't mean he doesn't care about it. I mean it's no big deal. If the nations are a drop in the bucket, which is what the Bible says, like dust on the scale... What do you think Bloomington is? Has he met his match, finally? No. So that's the first profitable and helpful thing here in Genesis 10, but there's more. And this is the second thing. And this is the more personal thing. God is God. And he made you And he put you where you are for his own purpose. God is God and he made you and he put you where you are for his own purpose. In other words, God gave you your family of origin. 
God gave you your family of origin. God gave you your parents. God gave you your grandparents. God orchestrated all the circumstances of your life. And that was not a mistake. Now I know that some, for some of you that's hard. <laughs> we'll, we'll just wait. Yeah, it's okay. All right. Now that might have been a mistake. Let me say this again. It's okay, Anne. God gave you your family of origin, right? And that is not a mistake. And some of us, for some of us, that's hard to hear because you have a terrible family, you had a terrible upbringing. And you are often tempted to think that God made a mistake with you. Or that God was mean with you. Or that God was stupid with you, right? Didn't God know what your father would be like, what your mother would be like? Didn't God know? Is he stupid? Yes, God knew, and no, he's not stupid, and he certainly is not mean. And it certainly wasn't out of his hand. God didn't just know, he directed. And he is good, and he is wise, and he is filled with compassion for you, and yes, in fact, you can trust him. God gave you your family and your upbringing with all of its pain, with all of its difficulty, with all of its mess because he wants you to seek him. How do you know what you would be like? How do you know what you would be like if you had a different family? Because that's what we're saying. We're saying, God, if you'd give me a different family, things would have been better. How do you know? How do you know what your heart would be like? If you had an easier upbringing, if you had a godly family, if your father or mother had not sinned against you the way they did, would you even be here today? Would you? Would you be seeking God? Would you be loving Jesus? Would you be sitting under his word Knowing your need for mercy and forgiveness from his hand, would you be seeking holiness? How do you know? You don't know. But God does. And he knows what you need. He knows what you need in order for you to seek him. Now, how do I know that? How can I say such a thing? How can I, where did that come from? Well, Acts 17. We'll be up on the screen. Look at it with me. Acts 17, 24. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to pagans in Athens, and here's what he says. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, 
nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Genesis 10, right? He made from one man all the nations of all the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and exist, even as some of of your own prophets have said, for we also are his children. There are no accidents with God. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He made the world and all things in it, He controls the details of all the world. He determines where the nations will live and when they will live. He determines the boundaries of their habitation and what are nations made up of? Nations are made of what? Families, just like yours. Nations are made up of families. Of your family, And why? Why has God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries? Why did he do this? God has done this that they would seek God. God has done this that you would seek God. And so think of your family. For better, for worse, the good things, the bad things, the awful things that many, many, many of you have suffered in your family? What about that? God gave you your family so that you would seek God. Not so that you'd run away from him, not so that you'd be bitter against him, not so that you would judge him, but so that you would seek him. And so, seek him. Seek him. Seek him with all of your heart. Run to him, throw yourself at his feet, beg him for mercy. He is full of compassion. He's full of kindness. Surrender yourself to him. He is Lord of heaven and earth. And he will have pity on you. And you will find him. This is the promise of God. If you seek him, you will find him. He says to his people in Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, and this includes your whole life. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. So seek him with all your heart. 
not shaking your fist in his face and telling him what your life should have been like. Seek him. Isaiah 55 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. And he's here now. He's here. Call upon him while he is near. He's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. Repent and return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. That's what you need, that's what I need. Seek the Lord. Call on him. Be done with your bitterness, be done with your anger, be done with your doubt. God brought you here, even today. What a mercy. Our Lord Jesus Christ, filled with mercy and compassion. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do pray that you would open our eyes to the reality, the truth of your hand in the nations, but not just in the nations, Father, in our families. And that you would give us humility before you, that you would make us love to seek you, love to know your care, love to know your mercy. And now, Lord, as we draw near to you and seek you, seek fellowship with you in this table, we pray that you would draw near to us as you promised to do. Let us find you. Let us find you strengthening our hearts by faith as we eat together. We ask in Christ's name, amen.